Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're talking about what to do with a bonus, how to plan for a bonus, uh, should you save it, should you invest it. Uh, we're just going to talk about planning for the bonus. But Justin, I feel like where we need to start this conversation is just really like at a high level, like how do you think about planning for a bonus? Like what, what would you say, like like Cliff Notes, like what, what would you say kind of sits at top? Because I think it's a good good point to give people you know, exactly what we think. And then we'll kind of flush it out in this podcast. Okay. Exactly what we think when you get a bonus and and let's say we're talking about a really big bonus, you know, the, the lens that you're looking at that through is where does this need to be allocated? How much of it can I enjoy versus how much of it needs to go, you know, long-term investing and what are all of the big financial planning implications? So taxes, does it change anything with uh, my estate plan? And we'll get into the weeds on this. It should change your insurance strategy a little bit too, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, and that, that really comes into play for, you know, talking about a big six-figure, seven-figure bonus. So depending on the size is, is going to, you know, determine the effect of all of those three items that I just mentioned. But I think that's how we want to frame this, Jared. So where to allocate it? And maybe maybe number one is more, you know, does it need to be put to long-term investing or can it be spent? What's the ratio on that? Where to allocate it? And then what are all of the different technical planning items that you need to know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And like, you know, this kind of touches on your is a good follow-up from our last podcast about what is financial planning. Because really, if you've done a good job answering that question for yourself, this should be easier, right? Because really, when it comes to a bonus, there's there's three things you could do with it, right? You can save it, you could spend it, or you can use it to pay taxes. And I would argue the correct recipe is probably some mix of all three of those. You might hear a financial planner saying, wait, I should spend some of my bonus and and you know your spidey senses tingle a little bit. I would say... Yes, absolutely. Assuming that you know how you're tracking towards your progress uh, and that you have a plan in place you feel excited about. Like, uh, like we have a lot of clients who oversave, right? So uh, we, we don't want that, right? Good financial planning balances your present self and your future self. So we think you know a, a good scenario is probably using it for some of all three of those purposes, but we'll get into uh, how the allocations and the percentages. Justin, what would you add there? I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm excited to dive in, talk about some of the life planning and allocation decisions to think through, and then all of the technical financial planning things to to cover. Awesome. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about life planning, right? And so, I, I guess the thing, right, kind of getting back to financial planning is really okay. How am I progressing towards my goals, right? And you really can't. You, you can't know that 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 is unknowable unless you know what are my goals and and my progress towards said goals right so um this is why having a financial plan matters and continually updating it matters uh because really that that drives a lot of this but Justin I would say 
like I, I would caveat this and say, Hey, you know, be, be honest with yourself, right? One of the things you and I were talking about before this podcast started is we have a lot, we, we we've seen uh, clients come in and say, Hey, my spending is X, let's say 150,000. And they have total income of 400,000 and no brokerage savings, which is okay, right? This is a no shame podcast, but they think they're spending 150 grand a year. Uh, but they're, they get a, they get a big bonus and every year it disappears. So they're probably spending more than they planned. And that's no shame. That's just, cha- that changes some of the inputs of their plan, right? What they, they're the number that they need to get to be able to support the current le- level of spend that they have is higher. So I think a good, a good place to start before you even decide, okay, Hey, what am I going to do with this specific bonus? It's, it's where am I going and how am I tracking towards that? Cause Justin, you were talking about before this, we have a lot of people that are ahead of schedule, right? That are maybe oversaving or in a really good spot or want to work for 20 more years and really don't need to save any additional money. So spend the money if, if you're in that spot, but really this question is hard to answer. How much do I save? How much do I invest? How much do I spend? Uh, if you don't know where you're going or how you're tracking. Yeah, I think that's well put. You know, I think there's some some scenarios that I've seen over the years, and we have a few clients that they're they're so ahead of schedule because they're spending way less than they make, and they're saving and investing, you know, a huge portion of that. And so they might be in the position where, hey, a huge bonus comes along, and you can really have some freedom to say, what do you want to do with this? And are there other fun goals or or other items that you kind of thought, well, that's probably something I wouldn't do until I'm in my fifties or sixties. But if you're ahead of schedule, yeah, you know, you've got a green light. And then I can remember, this is several years ago, but I, I was chatting with an Exxon mobile retiree and, you know, long story short, this person found out they didn't really pursue any financial advice until retirement age. And they had done a lot of overseas assignments and they found out that, hey, I could have retired several years before I actually did. And so a big part of of starting this conversation is figuring out, you know, how much of this needs to be devoted to long-term investing versus spending. We talk about giving every dollar a job. So if you're getting a big bonus, the first thought is all of this bonus needs to be allocated with purpose. And for a lot of people, that purpose might be I'm pursuing financial independence. I have a specific number I'm, I'm, I need to save toward, and that's where we need to put these dollars. But for others, you might be way ahead of schedule. And yeah, you can really think through, I still want to give these dollars a job, but it might be a more enjoyable short-term purchase uh, than long-term savings. Yeah. I would say that it serves a need and maybe the need is not investment related. It serves a function. You're going to invest that money regardless. And hopefully if you're spending it, you're spending it in cultivating memories or something like that. And, but maybe, you know, you're investing it into financial capital. So Justin, with that, let's talk about, let's say somebody doesn't have a financial plan or they don't really know where they're going. Like how might they begin to think about percentages of like, Hey, should I, should I invest the whole thing? Should I save the whole thing? You know, how might somebody begin to think about that if they haven't committed any of that to writing? I would start here. One question. Do you love your job? Do you love your job and you want to do it for a long time? Or, and it's great if you do, but it's also okay if you don't. And if you don't, then the question becomes, well, uh, how soon do you want to get out of this job? And how soon do you want to get to something different? And then let's, let's take this question and turn it into two questions. And the first one is uh, how soon do you want to get out and just full on retire? But then the second option, and 
little bit different question is what if you just do a different job? And, you know, if you're receiving a huge six, seven figure bonus, you're probably in a, a pretty demanding role. And if you're not loving it and wanting to do it for a long time, well, what if you just take a way less demanding job or you partially retire? Maybe you start your own consulting type thing or something. You're working part-time, anything like that. So those are the questions to ask. Do you love your job? If yes, great. Let's allocate these do dollars well and you know think about the tax on the state planning items. If you don't love your job, well, in that case, let's start to come up with a plan. And I think the first question, Jared, is how much do you need to save in order to get out of that job? That's right. But to get out of that job, I think is a different answer than to retire completely, right? Like I got to pick a bone with fire here. You know, the, the movement everybody's talking about financially independent retire early, where you see people with these crazy savings rates and they just punish their present selves so that they can hit the eject button from corporate America as soon as possible. I don't know if I could speak for you, Justin, but I think I'm anti-fire. I don't know if this is an anti-fire podcast, but a couple of bones to pick that I have to pick with that idea is that, right? Don't punish your present self. But, you know, good financial planning balances future and present. And then the problem with that logic is you think that you're just going to be able to just aggressively save and then one day and, and aggressively work really hard and then just go completely turn it off and go to spending and just go to not doing anything, which I think is really hard behaviorally. And we have a lot of clients who end up having encore careers or getting more involved uh, or taking a lower paying job that's related to a passion project because you know, they, they want something to do with their time and they've been working and busy and, you know, there's something good about work and good to be said about, you know, making a meaningful contribution to society, of course, in the way and at the speed and in the pace that is desirable for you and your goals. But I, I just think people like that's such a violent switch that, that have a hard time seeing that go well for anyone. And even, even our clients who take a more measured approach, a lot of them even have trouble going from even 40 hours to nothing because they've, they've been doing it for several decades. So, so even if you want to fire, you know, I, I would say, you know, not retire early, but just pursue more purposeful work on your terms. So the, the number that you may be going after, it's not, hey, what do I need to not work ever? The question may be, hey, what do I need to save so that I could retire from this really demanding job and maybe take a lesser paying job or just live off of one of our incomes if we're a two income household? So there's there's a little nuance with that number. It's It's not necessarily hit the eject button. So, and it's, you probably don't want to fire just adding that caveat there. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not big on the idea of, you know, saving 50, 70% of your income so that you can get out of your job as quickly as possible. Um, and I would, you know, tweak that and instead say, well, how can we find work that you're excited about doing for decades? And even if that means that work is totally different than what you're doing now, I think there's something to that. But the other reason I, I like that thought is, you know, a huge part of investing is simply having great, owning great companies, having a great portfolio, having a great investment portfolio mix and holding onto it for a long, long, long period of time, which is often 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So again, you know, it's important, even if you're in a role where you're thinking, hey, I need to hit the eject button soon. Instead of just, well, let's save as much as we can to just stop forever, keeping that mindset of, I need to make really good financial decisions for the next 30 years, even if I'm only wanting to be in my current job for three years. That's right. And two, you know, like you could use that bonus to improve your lifestyle so that you can work the job maybe a few years longer, 
right? So on paper, it wouldn't feel like the best decision, but that could be another way that, you know, you use the money to invest and increase your time horizon that this more demanding job using a lot of the bonus to pamper yourself. So there's, there's a lot of considerations, uh, a lot of considerations and trade-offs. So, you know, so at, at the 10,000 foot level, Hey, it's really a function of what you need and right. Like financial planning, you're at the center. So what do you need? What are you after understanding the nuance? Okay. Retirement's probably not going to be a hard violence stop. So what, what is my actual number? Then Justin, what, like, let's talk, you know, our, our audience skews technical, which we love, love getting in the weeds, a lot of engineers. Uh, so we love talking about the numbers and the data. What are some of like the technical considerations and things to be aware of that also matter in relation to how to allocate, uh, your bonus? Yep. So I think the first question is how did you receive your bonus? Was it cash? Was it stock? Uh, if it was stock, what kind of stock plan are we looking at? So the question we're trying to get to is how is your bonus going to be taxed? Now, you know, let's say it's cash or RSUs. Well, obviously that's taxed as income, but we're still trying to get to, you know, 2.0 of that, which is if it's RSUs, okay, you receive the RSUs, that's taxed as income, but what are you going to do right when you receive them? Uh, so if you receive it and it goes up 20%, the shares do, and you haven't sold them yet. Well, now you have a short-term capital gain. So you need to consider that. And so the first question is pretty simple. How is it taxed? And what are the planning considerations to go along with that? Uh, let's see, Jared, should we mention withholding and estimated tax payments? Yeah. So that's, that's Cause it's kind of connected to this first tax point, right? Like Standard for, uh, I forget the technical term, but for like wages like a bonus, we're just talking cash bonus for, for this example. Uh, there's a default withholding that the IRS uses of 22%. And so for most of our listeners that are higher compensated employees, that's not going to be enough. So a portion of your bonus is likely already spoken for, for additional estimated taxes because your employer will withhold a natural amount. But if your effective tax rate is higher than that, you will owe a portion of the, even the after-tax bonus you receive will need to be used to pay additional taxes. So you'll want to, uh, you'll want to do some analysis to make sure that, you know, all, everything is accounted for. And we'll talk later about, you know, strategies you could do if, if this income is kind of one time to, you know, kind of manage the, manage the tax liability in a high income year. But yeah, withholding is definitely something you need to be aware of because that, uh, that varies by person and by tax rate. Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen RSU plans that withhold 25%. So let's say a cash bonus is withholding 22. Let's say an RSU is withholding 25. Well, if you make, you know, let's pick some numbers that put us in a high tax bracket. Let's say you make 400,000 and your bonus is 300,000. In this example, your bonus is all going to be exposed to 30% tax rates, a little bit of 32 and 35, maybe some of 37. So in that case, you're going to have a delta there of a good 10% or so, uh, depending on the exact withholding amount of the bonus. And 10% of 300, that's $30,000. What you don't want to get to is you don't want to be in a position where the IRS over a five-year period, you receive five bonuses and you've underwithheld on all of them. And then you file your tax return. And yes, you owe, but you do this for a few years and they're going to say, hey, there's some penalties on here too. You know, you've known about this, you've been receiving bonuses. So not only do you need to give us an extra $30,000, but you also owe us interest, a penalty type thing on top of that. So understanding how much to withhold is a is a really helpful part of a bonus season as well. Yeah. And 
I guess what I would add there is like, there's, there's a nuance that I want to call out. Like there is the above and beyond bonus and the standard bonus, right? So like usually people, there's a standard bonus. That's a big part. That's just kind of a normal part of their compensation. And it's pretty reliable. And then you might, if, if, if you're an energy trader, you might have a gangbuster years where it's multiples higher than it has been historically, or you have a restricted stock unit vest that was uh, some some shares that were granted to you that was an abnormally large award on top of the performance equity that you get. So, how you approach you know planning and tax planning related to this determines how much uh, the type of bonus that it is. Because if 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 it's above and beyond normal and it's put you in a tax category that you don't normally have. You need to really become aggressive about shielding income and aggressive with some of the other strategies we've talked about in other podcasts, like donor advised fund, you know, using pre-tax IRA or uh, raw four hundred one k contributions, things like that. But if if this is kind of standard and recurring, you know, you're really just kicking the can down the road, and there's not too much variance there. Justin, what what would you add? Yes, so really big rule here. You need to probably follow this rule. And that is uh, most of everything you contribute needs to be pre-tax. So 401k, pre-tax. Uh, HSA is a great opportunity. Max out your HSA. And I, we've talked about this in other podcasts. Try not to spend your HSA if you are able to, and instead invest it instead of spending it. So you're maxing out all of those pre-tax buckets. And you know donor advice funds, that's thinking about charitable contributions. If this is an unusual bonus, Jared, how many times have we seen this recently? You know, someone gets an offer a few years ago and there is a retention bonus. We've seen a lot of retention bonuses over the past 12 months uh, that have that have come to fruition. So they have paid out. So a retention bonus is something that's not going to happen every year. So for this one year, you're in a different tax bracket. Well, it's really worth thinking that if you're pretty confident you're not going to be hitting at that tax rate at all for the next five years, well, what charitable giving do you want to do over the next five years? Front load it all now. Put it in a donor advised fund. Get the higher tax deduction. So when you say pre-tax everything, we're really just talking about any opportunity for deductions. Let's take them this year and let's 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 front load deductions this year when it wherever we can. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I want to add a wrinkle to this because the 401k can get squirrely here, right? There's We've seen issues where, uh, so the, the IRS has a rule that the maximum amount of compensation that they'll include in your calculation for what you're eligible to contribute to a retirement plan is $330,000. This becomes problematic uh, because some employers allow you to determine a percentage that you want to save of your salary. And bonus, right? You can some some employers allow the flexibility to, to choose those. Uh, the problem arises when you hit that three hundred and thirty thousand dollars threshold. So if 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 a big if if most of the three thirty is bonus and you deferred, you didn't save any of that in your four hundred one k and only had salary, uh, your plan, your depending on the plan, might shut off your ability to make future contributions. So you might not be able to fully fund a four hundred one k. Uh, not because you didn't have enough wages to contribute, but the types of wages and the percentages that you wanted to contribute hit that 330 mark way, way before you anticipated. So every plan is different. Work with your advisor to kind of navigate that. That, That's another nuance of, you know, where you could say, Hey, I want to defer an aggressive amount of salary and none of my bonus. And then the bonus pays out, makes you hit that 330 cap. And then you can't fully fund a 401k for the year, despite having 
you know, tons of money to do that. Uh, and so that's a low hanging fruit and that's, a, that's very plan specific, but we have seen people make that mistake. I want to give a really quick example so people can understand what we're talking about there. So the amount of your compensation that can be taken into account when determining employer and employee contributions is limited to 330,000. So two different scenarios here. Uh, let's pretend that someone makes 350,000, Jared, and let's pretend that there's no bonus. So this is going to be a really, really simple example. We're going to have 350,000 spread out over 24 pay periods. Uh, so two a month to make it even, even more simple. All right. So 350, you're going to hit 330,000 at some point in, let's say December. So maybe your second to last paycheck or somewhere around there, you're going to hit the IRS maximum compensation where after that point, you're not allowed to put anything into a 401k. So, you know, you want to think about that. But now let's do an example that really hits on what we're talking about. Let's pretend that you make 350000 a year. But in March, you're going to get a $300,000 bonus. So if that's your situation, you really want to be careful with how you fund. Is that bonus? Are you able to make 401k contributions and matching on that bonus? Uh, because let's play this out. You know, let's say that, okay, maybe you've got uh, 50, 60,000 or so that you've earned probably more than that, maybe 70, 80 that you've earned before the bonus pays. Now the bonus pays, and then that bonus is going to be the last time you're eligible to make 401k contributions because in March, because of this huge bonus, you already hit 330,000. And that's the IRS limit for when you're, what comp is eligible to go 401k versus not. Anything we should add to that? It's kind of a confusing deal that the IRS does that. I would leave it there. I'd reach out to your advisor and understand the way your bonus is paying out. But just know that a bonus can make you underfund your 401k if you're not careful. That's the, you know, that's the caution sign uh, that I would put there. That's the caution sign. And it's a bad caution sign because... If that's your situation, man, you really need to max your 401k that year. You really need to not mess that up. Yeah. So how else does a bonus impact uh, financial planning? Because last time we talked about it, you know, all, all the dimensions, right? We talked, we talked a little bit about how it impacts your retirement plan and how it impacts your tax situation. Does it have any implications for like insurance or estate planning? Yeah. So let's talk about those real quick. You know, obviously a bonus affects your tax situation. Obviously it affects your investment portfolio. If you get a huge influx of cash or stock, well, now your portfolio is very different structurally than what it was before your bonus. You need to attend to that. Um, so there's a lot of investment decisions to make around that time, but you don't really think estate planning or insurance, and let's mainly go with insurance. So let's say that you're getting a big bonus. Let's do an example of you're getting a million dollar bonus. This is a massive year. You're getting a seven figure bonus. Well, in that case, you absolutely need to reconsider all of your insurance policies. So asset protection bonuses are paid out and now you've got a bunch of, of, of dollars that have already been taxed and they're sitting in a checking savings brokerage account. Well, those assets are not protected from creditors. So it is important to review your home insurance policies, your auto insurance policies, your umbrella policies. Do you have appropriate coverage? You know, if something happened and you got sued, uh, what part of your balance sheet is protected versus not? You know, and let's let's go back to that example of a mega million dollar bonus. 
that could be that could absolutely be someone that had a balance sheet before the bonus that was far more tilted toward well primary residence retirement accounts pension and then a little bit of brokerage now after the bonus they still have those four things but this fifth thing mega brokerage account because of the bonus is overweighing the other four so in that case you really need to consider how are your assets positioned and what's protected from creditors versus what's not uh in do you need to review home insurance, auto insurance, umbrella policies to make sure you have appropriate coverage? Now, that would be a case where there's a chance you would need more insurance. And so, you know, let's say you need you don't have umbrella insurance, now you've got a bunch of assets and you do now need umbrella insurance hypothetically. So that's a case for more insurance, but it could also be possible that now you need less. So again, let's go back to the million dollar bonus. So that's a huge bonus. You've got this big influx of cash. Well, there does come a point in time where you do hit financial independence, second definition for that Dave Ramsey definition, self-insured. So if you get this million dollar bonus and let's say you've hit the total number for amount of dollars you need invested to technically not have to work anymore if you don't want to. And technically, you don't need insurance policies like life insurance and disability insurance because you now have enough assets that, hey, if something happened, you can self-insure uh, that risk. And so there is a very real chance that you could get a mega bonus and you might need less insurance on life and disability side. And so, you know, you want to review those things uh, because insurance is incredibly important for the areas that you need it. And it can also get incredibly expensive if you have excessive insurance that you really don't need at all. So if you have a big change to your balance sheet, a big influx on your asset level, yeah, it's absolutely worth considering. Yeah. I mean, definitely, right? You don't you don't want to be underinsured, which I feel like is a lot of what like life insurance conversation is. Like, oh, you have a policy gap, you need this policy. We see a lot of clients that are overinsured, right? And like Part of it, some of it might be unavoidable, right? Like your employer will pay for benefits. Like most large oil and gas employers pay for benefits. So that plus what you have may be more than you need, which is great. But we see a lot of clients that have legacy policies that they bought in their early 20s or uh, they just kind of held on to it because they like the idea of life insurance and just haven't really revisited the conversation since they purchased it in their early 30s or early 40s. And, uh, you know, that's another two to three thousand dollars that you could be investing or doing something else with every every month. So yeah, reviewing your insurance, I think, I think is huge. Uh, Justin, anything else related to kind of technical things that clients should be aware of or thinking about with a big bonus? I think that covers a lot of it. Um, and so yeah, we've covered a lot. But are are you on track to meet your goals? Where do you need to allocate these dollars? Where's the highest and best use? Where's the best purpose for these dollars to go? And then understanding all of the tax, all of the investment, and some of the insurance considerations that you need to think through. I think it's a, it's important stuff. Yeah, and the only thing, the final thing I'll say is like like financial planning. It's an event, right? Like you could come to a very reasonable conclusion about doing something this year. But next year, you're probably not going to want to do that same thing. You'll probably want to review it, right? So this is a decision that you don't just make one time. It's every time you have some variable compensation moving in. But the thing I would encourage all of our listeners to do is to make a conscious decision, right? Because it's really easy for that bonus to hit the account, for expenses to go up, for you not to keep a watchful eye, and for it to just kind of be spent without intention, right? Which is if you decide to spend it, great, but make that your intention and make it a conscious decision versus just using it to inflate the lifestyle because you hadn't thought about it. 
Totally agree. That's well put. Well, that's all we got. We'll see you next week. We always love feedback from listeners. Podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. Hope you steward your bonus as well. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.